Hey comrades, welcome back to this proletarian life. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves, staying safe, staying healthy. I know right now is a really intense time. A lot of us are feeling very overwhelmed and a sense of cognitive overload. So I really hope you're taking the time to process this and being really kind to yourself, as well as reaching out in any way you can, digitally, of course, <laughs> to those who will give you support. Today's episode is a very special one. It is one of my all-time favorite people in the entire universe. Uh, someone I really look up to, someone who inspires me, and also someone who uh, has taught me so much in my life already as a revolutionary. It is Talia. Uh, Talia, obviously, from the Minyan, as well as Tolerant Left. Many of you know her. She is amazing. Uh, when she told me to introduce herself, she said that I should just say that she is a weirdo goofball, which is true, she is a weirdo goofball, but she is so much more than that. She's strong, intelligent, super brave, an absolute badass, hilarious, and it was so amazing to talk with her. Granted, this episode was recorded last fall, so there's a couple of informational updates that have happened since then, but we still cover a lot of really interesting stuff about her uh, life. And I actually kept part of the episode naked. I did add some music, but I wanted to leave some of the sounds that we were having in the background as we were sitting in the cafe into the episode. Because while a lot of us are, you know, self-isolating and quarantined, um, it's kind of fun to uh, hear this story she's giving and it kind of feels a little conversational. So I thought that was a little fun for a lot of us who are stuck inside right now. Also, Talia chose the opening and closing music, and the opening music you're listening to right now is What You Want by Beastie Boys, which you will find out soon why uh, Talia chose this. Thank you for tuning in again, and I hope you enjoy this very awesome episode with Talia. Solidarity forever, and please stay healthy. We are currently in Pikesburg, a coffee shop in Colorado Springs. I'm about to talk to Talia about her leftist origin story, um, and we'll start out with having her introduce herself. Uh, I'm Talia. I am one third of Pearls of the Mignon and one half of Tolerant Left. Uh, I am an anti-Zionist, Marxist-Leninist Jew. Um, I'm in my early 30s. And I'm a librarian. Um, I'm based in the Midwest. Um, and I was born into a union family. My dad is union. My grandpa's union. So I always understood the importance of unions and being working class. We grew up really, really poor. Um, my mom didn't work. My dad had to provide for all of us and all of our animals, which was a lot. <laughs> Um, so I always had that background of class solidarity and striking and how important the strike was. Um, but my 
parents. My my mom uh, is a Republican. My dad is an independent, and he always stressed upon me the importance of thinking for yourself, being independent. Um, but like the moment I realized that I was never going to be right leaning or um, like I don't know, you're gonna have to cut this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> This is like the majority of our podcast is me saying, cut that, cut that. Yeah, I just cut that. <laughs> I was in kindergarten and I invited my black friend over and my mom would not let him in the house for my birthday. And that was like the moment I knew like, I cannot be like this. I am never ever going to judge someone based on the color of their skin or who they are, like their orientation or anything like that. So I'm a librarian and I've always wanted to be a librarian and I believe like libraries are like a very, very communist thing. Uh, it's free education for the masses basically which is like the coolest shit ever like I spent all of my time in the public library when I was growing up and she was Matilda <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> basically without the superpowers <laughs> I can catalog and organize <laughs> Uh, so I spent a lot of time in the library just reading whatever I could find. It was a really tiny library, so I learned like banning books is not a good thing because um, my mom would ban me from reading like, I know the pearls don't like Lord of the Rings that much. <laughs> uh, we're split. We're split on the issue of Lord of the Rings. But my mom had like banned me from reading The Hobbit it has satanic elements to it <laughs> like dragons it's and stuff fantasy. yeah well that's a no-no <laughs> so i would like sneak out to the library and read a chapter of the hobbit a day when i was like in first grade <laughs> the pursuit of knowledge like under oppressive circumstances <laughs> was something that was super important to me and yeah, and like I'm not a big fan of anti-intellectualism or anything like that because of my mom. My favorite band since I've been like six or seven has always been the Beastie Boys. And like, yeah, they did the free Tibet stuff, which now I know is like, they, they were already freed. <laughs> uh, but because of that, it made me think of things like internationally, like, it made me think about things not just in Minnesota. It made me think about how what I do affects everything else in the world. And that was like fucking third grade is when I started thinking about things like that. So I was like really into the Beastie Boys. And like with me, I always like try to find influences of the bands I like. So I realized they like they were influenced by Bad Brains and like 70s punk. And then I got into that and like. Then I got into anarchy <laughs> because of uh, 
being really into punk and stuff and um, but I did read the Communist Manifesto in like seventh grade and it like fucking blew my mind. It is good shit. <laughs> um, I'm like, whoa, all of this totally makes sense on like why I'm poor, why my dad's poor, and like why we can't really have a big house is because he's being completely exploited and he worked overtime all the time. Like, I don't know. The entire time I lived at home, I don't think there was a week where he didn't work overtime. He always was working. Um, so then in high school, I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, and as I started thinking of things like, like from a like a black perspective, and really trying to understand that, like coming from Minnesota, where it's like rural Minnesota is very white and just thinking of things like putting my headspace into that and their struggles and then I went to college and I became a fucking liberal <laughs> temporarily uh, I worked with a student DFL for a while working on Obama's campaign because he said he was going to close Guantanamo Bay that was like the big thing is I wanted that to be shut down um, I've always been against like the prison industrial complex and, um, he didn't shut it down so I'm like well fuck that I'm not getting really involved with electoral politics again after that also in 2008 I was doing electoral shit, and I was still liberal, but um, in 2008 I was interning at Library of Congress in D.C., and um, I was staying with my friends who were living in a place that was being gentrified, and I was walking home, and I had just, it was like at 10 o'clock at night and I was alone. I was on the phone with my boyfriend at the time and uh, these like seven guys just came out and like broke my jaw and like punched my face in and stuff and like uh, knocked my tooth out, broke my teeth. Um, and I'm like in the hospital thinking like I need to fucking start learning about like systematic racism and why this happened and how fucked up gentrification is and like so I like literally had the liberalism knocked out of me. <laughs> yeah, 2008 was like a really rough year. Like that was when the stock market crashed. I had the I had two emergency trips. I was on my parents, um, my dad's health insurance, um, and so their house foreclosed on. My dad lost his four hundred one k, partly because of the medical debt and partly because of the stock market crash. And that was like, yeah, this shit's fucked. Like the I'm gonna. I'm going to read more about what that Marx guy was saying that I read read in seventh grade. Like, I feel like I need to be reading more, like, more, uh, more radical shit. Because, obviously, anarchy is bullshit and it's not going to really do anything. Yeah. Um, we need some structure in place. Um, so, yeah, when I got went back to school, I signed up for, like 
black history classes, uh, African-American art, because I have an art history background. Um, just doing as many, like, not white-centered things. Like, um. uh, so then I did research projects on the Works Progress Administration and prints there, and, like, learning how important, like, government-funded art is that's not censored. <laughs> because uh, it was definitely censored by the U.S. government. Um, but they also supported a lot of uh, black and uh, Latino artists, too, during the time. So I studied that. I did research projects on the French Revolution, because that, like, say what you will about it, but that was, like, a really strong, like, one of the first worker-led revolution even though they didn't have the terms or it wasn't it was a baby it was a lead up to the Russian revolution like I think it's the stage for that uh, so I've, I've always been fascinated by that and like how the monarch should not exist and guillotines are the shit and I love them <laughs> um, uh, it's just the workers like saying fuck this you need to feed us and you're just going to run around like blowing all this money that you, you think you have but really it's our money and just taking matters into their own hands and people's heads. <laughs> and then I graduated. I... Then I went to library school, and that's when I really became involved with more radical stuff. Like, I joined the Progressive Librarians Guild, which focuses on um, social work and trying to make librarians more aware of social issues, social justice issues, um, cataloging issues, like with subject headings. I can go on about subject headings, but I will not. I'll save that for a librarian episode. <laughs> I got involved with that. I got super involved with IWW, which I still love very, very much. Um, everyone's supposed to be in a union, which I completely support. Um, I mean, I have an IWW tattoo, so I, <laughs> I love them. And then I started reading a lot more Marx. I got really involved with my union. Uh, I became a union steward, and from that I started like agitating um, my workers, my co-workers about um, communism and um, how it's it's not, there's not a middle class, it's working class and then the ruling class and that your boss is not your friend and they really got that and I definitely got some co-workers to like, I pushed them, yeah, I pushed them really left. Um, and then I worked at a radical bookstore, so that was nice. Um, I just slowly fell down into the beautiful depths of communism <laughs> at library school. Uh, when I graduated, I realized I couldn't pay for my student loans. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, so just, I guess, fuck student loans. I think it's bullshit that you have to pay to go to school. Yeah. yeah. That my brain is worth $110,000. <laughs> After I graduated library school, I um, 
I got involved with like Black Lives Matter and all the protests and doing the occupation outside the 4th Precinct in Minneapolis after Jamar Clark died. Um, just learning a lot of skills on how to occupy a place like in the middle of winter in Minnesota is like pretty useful and like then I moved to St. Louis I went to St. Louis for Mike Brown's one-year anniversary and I was like I, I need to move here um, like my friend was telling me you can get a lot you can do a lot of revolutionary things if you move to St. Louis so moved to St. Louis uh, and that's when I became like, I started identifying as an ML, like, uh, in 2015. 2015-2000. The beginning of 2016. I was like, oh, that's what I am. Well, now I got a word for it. <laughs> I started going... I, went, I didn't know anybody in St. Louis, so I went to an anti-Trump protest in St. Louis by myself, masked up. <laughs> was not the Punisher mask. <laughs> I hadn't gotten to that point yet. Uh, I went, I had like a bandana and shit and like, it's really scary to go to protest by yourself. Um, Especially after you experience being attacked. Yeah, and I think that what makes me good is like, I like to do security at protests. So I'm like very hyper vigilant um, and I have no fear of death now. <laughs> Because, the, like, yeah, I got attacked, but then the next year I was in D.C. interning at Smithsonian, and I got mugged again. <laughs> and it was, it was just two guys this time, and I was with a friend, and they, like, dragged me by my purse for, like, 15 feet, and I would not let go. I was like, I'm not doing the paperwork again. So much and they're like... Well, I'm sorry. This is just what's going to happen. I'm like, I'm not doing the paperwork. <laughs> and my friend just gave his stuff up. I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, just do it, Talia. Stop talking. I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm just as poor as them. I can't do this. And then after they ran away, they didn't get my purse. Nice. Yeah. Um, he's like, did you not see the 12-inch knife that they <laughs> I'm like, whatever. They weren't gonna use it on me. <laughs> Basically, you're a badass. <laughs> uh, some may say that. Some may say I'm insane. <laughs> uh, um, but in like 2016, I went to a Trump protest, uh, masked up all by myself. Don't do that. You should always have a protest buddy. <laughs> That's a safety thing. I didn't quite know like w like what orgs I could be a part of as an ML. Um, so I had always been searching for something that I could be a part of. But the next year, there was a big uh, anti-Confederate um, rally. Well, it was a counter-protest to the pro-Confederate statue that they had up oh. in uh, Forest Park. Um, that was being led by a black woman who's married to a white cop. I'm like, what the fuck? Uh, but that was where I made a bunch of connections with other radicals was at that rally. The next week, I believe it was, um, 
there's an organization called Workers Education Society in St. Louis that bought an old union hall and um, so CPUSA owns part of it. So um, they had like, they have a lot of DIY punk shows there and this one was uh, They Owe Us a Living and it was, they had like, my one friend's band was playing so I checked it out but then they had speeches from uh, union members and they were all MLs. <laughs> and it was super cool. I was like, wow, this is like, this is where it's at. That was before I really realized how shitty CPUSA is. <laughs> but yeah, this was, I under, finally understood like how important being armed is for a struggle, for a revolutionary struggle, arms are a necessity and like a lot of gun laws are just oppressive for uh, black and brown folks and not and poor folks and not white people um, so I went to that show I got connected with workers education society um, we did a lot of union work the Stockley protests started happening that was about a white cop that told this black guy he was gonna kill him he killed him, and he got not, not found not guilty. So that's when I hooked up with more really radical folks, and it was from there, like, that's 2017, and since then I have been very militant, hardcore Marxist-Leninist, reading as much theory as I can, as much history as I can, learning how to shoot, like learning how to take care of myself, how to take care of others, learning how to take, like, build community, um, and just agitating wherever I go. Like, I go to union bars and I agitate there, but I've learned, like, don't, don't just say communism or Marxism. You have to talk in their language and say, like, like profits are your stolen wages and they get it they 100% get it and then you can start talking about Marx after they're like yeah I hear ya I was a part of a group where I I have connections to street medics and I made sure to have one of the street medics come down and train a bunch of us it was it was not only for my organization but I had opened up to opened it up to like socialist alternative and like other people who are interested like so like there is a street medic collective in St. Louis partly because of that training um, and I do street medic stuff and I do security you're not supposed to do the same you can't do them at the same time but yeah the St. Louis didn't really have a street medic collective until 20, or restarted in 2017 with the Stackley protests. Because um, St. Louis cops are ruthless. They tear gas you. They pepper spray you. They'll beat you up with their bikes. Um, they'll just beat you up. I, they just kicked this woman so hard this past weekend that she like defecated on herself. And they also just shot and killed uh, unarmed black man at the mall this weekend too. My favorite revolutionary is 
It goes back and forth between Ho Chi Minh and Thomas Sankara, uh, just because both of them said fuck you to France. Especially Sankara, where he's like, I'm not paying the IMF. Fuck that. Because, like, people don't know, like, with the colonized countries in Africa, France is charging them for the infrastructure that they put into place. Like, fucked up. Um, And, like, with Sankara, he understood how important women were to the movement. Like, he had that line... I know it's from Mao, but uh, women hold up half the sky, and like he is such a principled ML, and like how he lives so humbly, and how he like fucking vaccinated like 2.8 million children and saved so many lives by vaccinating them. That's like so when I hear about fucking anti-vaxxers, I'm just like Sankara would kill you. <laughs> Like, I seriously can't think of anything wrong that Sankara did except love his best friend so much and then was brutally betrayed by him. I can't believe that shit breaks my heart and I want to cry right now when I'm talking about it. Like, he just did so much in four years. Like, what would have happened if he lived for eight? Like... And, like, he met with Fidel, and his speech to the UN was amazing, and, like, oh, Sankara's a shit, and I wish more people knew about him. Like, especially when fuckers are like, oh, ML is just, like, a white-led thing. I'm like, so you're just saying fuck you to Fidel, Shay, Ho Chi Minh, Sankara, Mao. So many important revolutionaries. It's because... Uh, yeah, they're, they're taking... They're not trots. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, they're taking the trot view of things where they, they don't recognize non-European revolutionary yeah. movements, which is like, well, fuck you. Yeah, I, there's been more non-European revolutionary movements than there have been European ones. And they've been successful. Yeah. yeah. Big annoyance. <laughs> it's a big mood, no. Oh, I had another question, but then we started talking about Sankara. Sorry. It no, it's okay. Love the guy. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's gonna say Communist Manifesto, but I think for me it was the autobiography of Malcolm X. Like, just thinking about it makes me want to cry. Do it. Big sad hours. Just like, it has definitely left the biggest impact on my life. Um, Knowing he came from nothing and he wasn't ML, but he was getting there near the end of his life. Um, Just like knowing how much guts it took for him to talk openly about saying fuck the ballot like that takes a lot of guts when at the same time you had MLK like saying preaching nonviolence and Malcolm X is like no if they're gonna hurt me I'm gonna hurt them like um he's definitely a precursor to the Black Panthers and the Black Panthers is like probably the biggest influence on me like whenever I meet someone I say read Black Panthers speak 
it has like <laughs> pushed it on everybody. Like, I'll meet someone at a bar and I'll start talking to them about that book, and they're like, "Well, I don't have it." I'm like, "Okay, give me your address. I'll yeah. buy you one." <laughs> I've done that like four or five times now. Like, it's so important. Like, if we want to know how to do a revolutionary movement in America. We need to study the Black Panthers, learn from them, learn from their mistakes, because we are still feeling their effects today. Like, we have the WIC program because of them. We have breakfast in schools because of them. The stuff that they did with community health and doing the, um, the sickle cell anemia tests and all that, like, that shit's huge. And, like, I think as MLs, we need to be principal, but we also need to be of the community, and you need to have the trust of the community, and part of that is just interacting with them on a regular basis. You don't necessarily have to talk about theory all the time, just know that like, they're like, oh, they're a communist, they're a good person, so communism is, is a good thing. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's something that is associated with someone that's integrated and approachable and even provide some material things. Yeah, and like trustworthy and like part of that's like my like librarian so much is like they're they're of the community. <laughs> they, they know the issues that are going on um, and they're there to provide resources for you. I just realized you. you look like a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't thinking that. I, I know you as a radical. Yeah. So, wait, you actually do look like a librarian. A I wear Malcolm librarian. X glasses. <laughs> so yeah, Mal the autobiography of Malcolm X is like the biggest thing that has affected me because like that led me to the Black Panthers and um, and like with Black Panthers they also worked with other uh, coalitions like the Young Patriots, um, the Young Lords, there's the White Panther Party too. Like some of the only Black Panthers that weren't black actually were Asian Americans. Yeah, were they the Yellow Panthers? I think uh, so. Yellow Peril. Okay. Just my people. <laughs> but yeah, like um, one of Malcolm X's closest people of course, was a Japanese-American um, activist. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I just think it's awesome how they were able to bridge gaps between other communities that mm -hmm. were oppressed and really be a sign and a symbol of self-determination and power within a community. And they were one of my biggest inspirations growing up, too. Like, yeah. I always looked at them and was like, it's so fucking amazing yeah. what they were able to do. Like the brown berets and shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like and just like showing like all of our struggles are interconnected and like we're all like we're all the working class and there's more of us than there are of them and I think one thing I've definitely learned in living in St. Louis nothing scares the cops more than when poor white people and poor black people get together to protest that's when the most oppression starts to happen is um, they, uh, the SWAT team came into a white woman's house and killed her 20-year-old uh, son. She's, she's a poor white woman and 
the response for that, she's out there, she's talking, she's like, fuck the police, all cops are bastards, and she has all Black Lives Matter behind her, and like at his funeral, it was just a bunch of poor white, poor black people together, and cops were everywhere at that funeral, everywhere. I worked. And they've harassed that woman nonstop. They've, they, like a month after she buried him, they busted through her door again and threw flash bombs in there. Wow. Yeah. She's definitely a target because she does have that power to, like, bring everybody together. That's so important. I guess converting to Judaism was a big thing, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I figured you might touch on it. It's it's just like it's weird because I'm just talking about me and I. I don't know. It doesn't like it doesn't like fucking occur to me that like Judaism is like a huge fucking thing. <laughs> that's, that's, I'm so used to like living with it every day. Like even when I introduced myself, I didn't say I was bi or anything. Yeah, yeah. I just like completely forget about it. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense because you don't really. It's just part of you. Yeah, but. I mean, they are part of those intersections that mm-hmm. are oppressed and do have a historical, you know, basis of prejudice against. Yeah, like, I don't feel like I fit in to the straight community, and I don't feel like I fit in in the gay community, because I'm like... One foot in, one foot out. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> uh, in the beautiful gray area. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. Um, from that, I learned like the big thing of treat others how you want to be treated. So I'm like, I'm going to treat everybody like how awesome they are and the potential that they have. Um, and I grew up thinking I was Jewish. I had a Jewish name. Leah's Jewish. Um, we had a menorah. We went to church on Saturday. We didn't eat pork. We didn't eat shellfish. It was very confusing. <laughs> like, then when I got old enough and realized I wasn't Jewish, I was like, well, that's really depressing. Um, then I became an atheist. But then um, when I graduated and moved to Minneapolis, I was like, I need to find a temple. I need to go to temple. Um, And I looked up Jewish libraries because I was like, a good way to find a temple is like work in the library there and see what it's like. So I found one. I Googled Jewish libraries, found a temple. Turned out it's like 60% LGBT. Um, Both of the rabbis were gay. And like the moment I walked in during services, I was like, this is it this is me like it's like when everything comes together and you're like I'm home like this is where I'm at um and I really like Judaism because it deals with social justice and like their big thing is Zedek Zedek Tiradov which means justice justice you shall pursue Reform Judaism especially, it's really focused on 
addressing inequalities and speaking up for the oppressed, speaking for the stranger because you were a stranger once. Um, so that's why the whole Israel-Palestine thing bothers me so much is that if you say you pursue, pursue justice and you call yourself a Jewish organization but then you just completely shit all over Palestinians, you're not... You're not pursuing justice. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Which is why I'm doing Pearls of the Minion, which is anti-Zionist. Um, I have never felt so wonderful than when I'm doing research or doing the podcast with them. Um, just finding other ML Jews like who are anti-Zionist have been like, it's been life changing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, because it's very isolating when you're like the only ML anti-Sinus Jew in like a thousand mile radius. <laughs> yeah, because they're both on the East Coast and then I'm like stuck in the middle of nowhere, which we're already facing like lots of anti-Semitic attacks and stuff in Missouri. Um, so, yeah, just, just because of, like, the paroles, the round table, like, having that discord, like, made me find, like, other ML Jews, and, like, that discord is so incredible. <laughs> I've met so incredible people from there. Um, but, yeah, Judaism plays an enormous part in why I'm, a, I'm an ML, like, with, we talk about it a little on Minyan, but, like, how being ML and being Jewish just makes sense because we're always debating, we're always talking, it's very dialectical, like, that's all Judaism is, is just debating and talking, like, we have the Talmud, which is, like, books and books and books of rabbis arguing with each other for hundreds of years. <laughs> And we're like the people of the book, so we like read and we learn theory so, and. Yeah. 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 And it makes sense. Like, Marx was Jewish. Yeah. His parents converted, but I feel like they converted out of like necessity. And but you can tell in Marx's writings that he's definitely influenced by Jewish thought. Um, and that Judeo-Bolshevism is a very real thing. <laughs> we like it. We're a fan. <laughs> I'm on Pearls of Mignon. I'm on Tolerant Left. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at T-A-L-I-A-L-U-X-1917. <laughs> um, I'm always down to talk. Um about marks and shit and whatever heavy metal get a library card be nice to your librarians read luxembourg read kolontai read sankara read ho chi minh <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it ends <laughs> bye <laughs> is that supposed to be doing that Okay, sorry. Okay, we're starting now. We're Bikini Kill, and we want revolution! Girls don't know! Hey, 
that I started in like what fifth grade is when I first heard that song um and I read the zines where she talks about just tell your friends that you love them I was like wow that's so radical (laughs) and like I've been doing it since like fifth grade and I've gotten my dad to do it because before my dad would never say that he loved me and now that I'm out of the house he's like Talia you taught me like yeah I gotta I gotta tell you that I love you every time because who knows this might be the last time I see you so and my dad's like a hardcore marine and it was really hard for him to like actually accept that he needs to tell tell people that he loves them 